0: And in order to keep our broadcasting license, we devote Sunday night dead time to public service shows of limited appeal. This is Talk Can Audio. An all new week means an all new episode of the Talk Can Audio podcast. How's it going, everybody? My name is Matt Robinson. Coming to you, well, from several hours away from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Uh, out of town for a couple of days. So, uh, yeah, we're getting something done from a, a small little uh, room here that is, uh, you know, not quite studio quality. But uh, we'll get something out for you guys. Uh, really looking forward to today's show as Jeff Merrick from uh, Sportsnet. And of course, from 32 Thoughts, the podcast, uh, going to be with us here in just a couple of minutes. And uh, so that should be kind of fun. And I kind of thought... You know, maybe we'll get to a little bit of hockey. We don't have a ton of time with Jeff, but Jeff's an interesting guy. He's covered a lot of things. He's done a lot of things in his career, and, and quite frankly, you can hear his thoughts on on the NHL several times a week, and uh, and so we may not start there. I've got a couple other questions lined up for him, and, and we may you know get into a couple things that maybe you guys aren't quite expecting. I thought that might be thought that might be kind of fun. We do have a really good looking week coming up. Of course, uh, the Blue Jays have clinched a playoff spot. We do not yet know. Uh, who they're going to play or where they're going to play. It does look right now, uh, they are in the driver's seat for uh, for home field advantage, but that can change very quickly. It is still tight with Tampa and with Seattle. Uh, the most likely outcome as we sit here and record today is that they will play Seattle, but we don't know yet exactly where. Once we do know, we're going to have our buddy Andrew Stoughton back on the podcast from thebatflip.ca. batflip.ca uh, looking forward to uh, to chatting with him. We'll get his take on the playoffs, how they're going to line things up and, and what we can expect uh, from the matchup once we know what it is. Uh, Andrew was just on the uh, the Toronto Mike podcast last week and that was pretty interesting. If you guys uh, aren't familiar, uh, Toronto Mike has a show down in, uh, you're never going to believe this, but uh, but down in Toronto. And uh, he interviews all kinds of media types, sort of like we like to do around here, but uh, he sticks strictly to the media uh, and I guess some bands and stuff like that. Basically, uh, his rule is if you're Toronto famous and so, uh, and he just does a deep dive on their career. And, uh, so Stoughton was on there last week. It was a pretty interesting listen, uh, if you like Andrew and, and want to check that out. Uh, it's the Toronto Mike podcast. I can't remember what number it was, but you'll find it. It was, uh, it was a week or so ago now. So, uh, check that out if you're into such things. Also this week, uh, Mike Ross will be on the show, and uh, if you're not familiar with this name, you probably should be. He's been on TCA before, but he is the uh, in-arena announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so uh, the guy that's responsible for uh, for letting you know what the penalties are, who scored the goals, all these sorts of things. Um, he's been on once before during the, the pandemic, so we're looking forward to talking to him now that things are uh, a little bit more back to normal and there's uh, people actually in the arena to be speaking to, um, that's going to be a lot of fun. He's actually cousins with Alex Marchand, who is uh, Sens DJ. So they're sort of in the family business here in terms of working in NHL buildings, uh, but on opposite ends, uh, of the, uh, the rivalry spectrum here in the battle of Ontario. So that's going to happen later this week. Of course, coming up, uh, next week, we'll have our annual Toronto Maple Leafs and Ottawa Senators season preview shows respectively Graham Nichols will do the uh, the Sens preview Jeff Fayette will return and do the Leafs preview so that'll be fun. lots of good stuff coming up on the podcast. Uh, there's a few things that I do want to uh, to get into and, and touch on just a little bit on this episode. Of course Rob isn't here as I said I'm out of town so uh, we weren't able to uh, to get into the uh, the studio together. A couple things that I want to touch on, but we'll get into all of that uh, after we talk to Jeff Merrick. Uh, Why don't we do that right now? We're happy to welcome in at this time uh, from 32 Thoughts and Sportsnet and, of course, uh, from the Jeff Merrick show. Jeff Merrick himself. How are you doing today, Jeff?
1: Matt, how are you, pal? Good to talk to you.
0: Appreciate you making a little bit of time. I know frequently on these uh, the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, you're sitting comfortably at home in your slippers and comfy pants while Elliot's doing the <laughs> late night drive car cast. Uh, we've got you on the other end of it today. You're on your way to Peterborough yeah, for uh, yes. the Thirty Two tour. How have the uh, the stops been going? Uh, where did these? Uh, where's the idea to start doing these live come from?
1: So uh, it was uh, Amel, our producer, Amel Delich. Uh, it was so normally what Elliot and I do is before we record the podcast and then after we'll have like a little you know yak session with emil or give us sort of an update on how the podcast is doing and different ideas he has and this is one that was i think we actually i think emil and i may have talked about it when we were in europe together just as a just as a what if like what can we do with this property mm-hmm. and emil has this habit of Taking an idea and actually doing something with it, as opposed to me and Elliot, which is sort of let it die on the vine. Like, oh, that'd be interesting. And then we never pick it up again. Emil actually tries to see if they'll work. Um, and he helped put this entire thing together. So really, it was nothing more than just came out of a out of a casual conversation. And, and so far, it's been it's been really well received. Like all the shows are are sold out. I'm uh, to be honest with you, I'm a little bit surprised, very flattered. Um, but really, it, it, it's it's I'll tell you what, it's nice to get out to see people. Right. Like it's nice to get out to talk to people again, and you know we we're we we're saying this when we were in Paris at the uh, at the NHL Players Tour, the European version of it. that um you know everyone's just happy to see people again, mm-hmm. and right now it's the beginning of the season, so nobody hates the media yet, so it's a good time to be us um no one's angry at us no one's pissed off so it's okay we haven't said anything too offensive uh to to harm people's sensibilities so so far we're okay um and it's been good man it's been it's been a lot of fun like i don't there like there there long drives there and long drives back but uh it's it's all been worth it so far it's it's nice to actually i mean you know this feeling like it's actually nice to meet the people that listen to you yes because you have no idea right so it's it's nice to finally actually, you know, put a uh, put a face to these people. So I'm loving it, and I think Ellie and Amal are too.
0: Paris and Peterborough in one month stretch like that's that's quite a run.
1: <laughs> it, it sounds like something Gord Downey with yes.
0: from,
1: from Paris to Peterborough. Thanks, Gord.
0: The Paris of the Prairies, and uh, that's right. That's right. That's so, right. Uh, look, I, I know the uh, the good listener and and myself, we get to hear your thoughts on you know, Rasmus Sandine and, and Jason Robertson, uh, several times a week in other places. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to start in yeah. a couple of non-hockey places. Shoot. Uh, you recently, or uh, semi-recently, as we all know, time has no meaning anymore. Uh, <laughs> you, had, you, you had a chance to uh, do a live show with Dan Carlin, who hosts the Hardcore History podcast, one of the biggest podcasts yeah. in the world. Um, yeah. He might be the most well-known uh, podcaster in the world, maybe you know, right there with Joe Rogan and, and these sorts. How does yeah. that uh, opportunity present itself, and and you know, how do you find yourself sitting and chatting with Dan Carlin?
1: I'm the luckiest guy in the world, right? Like, I feel like I won podcast fantasy camp. <laughs> so that was so when when Dan's book came out, um, uh, someone from Harper Collins, who was the publisher, someone who's in uh, in the, the the marketing department. Is a fan of the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast, and he knows that I. And he follows me on Twitter, and he knows I talked about Dan Carlin a lot, and tweeted about Dan Carlin a lot. And Dan was doing this uh, tour to help promote his uh, his book, and he was doing an event in Toronto, and they needed a host, and just sent me, I think it was either a text or or a a DM, asking if I'd be interested in uh, in hosting the event. And I mean that was like the quickest yes I've ever said in my life. <laughs> um, at first, I thought it was like one of my buddies putting me on, like, "Yeah, I'm going to sit there and talk to Dan Carlin uh, for for two hours in a in a, a packed theater in downtown Toronto." But um, it's it, that the, 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 that's that's as boring as the story is. I was just asked, like, that's it. It was it was wow. it was that simple. Yeah. So, um, like, that was a thrill. Like, I don't get. I don't know about you, but I, I don't get starstruck like uh, you know athletes or, or famous people or anything like that. But you know, meeting Dan Carlin just because I'm such a fan, and not only do I enjoy his work, but sort of admire you know his tenacity and, and admire everything that he's that he's done, um, not just on hardcore history or on common sense, but just helping to to grow the entire platform that is the the, the podcast platform. Like, I'll be honest with you, part of me was like. Recalling my wife as I was going to the theater, I'm like, I haven't felt nervous in years, but I think I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm nervous to talk. What am I going to talk to Dan Carlin about? Like, you know, you have ever have this feeling that, um, uh, I mean, Tom Waits used to always talk about this. You know, tapping the world on its shoulder, and when it finally turns around, you forget what you were going to say. Like, I kind of had that feeling. (laughs) Like, like, oh shit, there's Dan. What do I do now? What do I say now? So. And then that turned into like, listen, dude, I've got a very bizarre life and exist this bizarre world. It's like Dan and I text on a on a regular basis now. For History Addendum podcast, uh, a couple of years ago, which was, I mean, that was podcast fantasy camp um, for me. So it's been, it's been a, it's been a, my life's been, it's been, it's, it's it's been bizarre just because I've met so many. Different high-level people from so many different, you know, uh, uh, different walks of life. But Dan Carlin, for me, is is right up at the top of any list. Like when anyone asks me, like, you know, who's the person you you most enjoy talking to, it's easy. It's it's Dan Carlin. And, you know, there's probably not even. It's
0: it's funny that you say that because like I I don't think I get starstruck necessarily like meeting people doesn't freak me out, but I would be freaked out knowing I have to keep up with you right now. I have to know that the, the, you know, the topic here as well as you do, I, or at least, uh, well enough to, you know, maybe I need to take a little break and ask him what he thinks about the Canucks power play while I kind of regain my thoughts. <laughs> um, what do you think it is about him? There's something about his voice and his cadence. I can remember before the pandemic there, um, he dropped a new episode and I was at the family cottage and I had listened to about yeah. two hours of it just sitting outside on the dock and my cousin and his wife were driving up and they had listened to it on the drive up. And we were very close in terms of where we both were in the episode. Cause as most people know, they're monsters, three, four hours yes. long each one. And we, yeah. we decided for now, we're going to forego the drinks on the dock on this beautiful summer day. And we went back into the house and we just sat there together and listened to the rest of that episode. And people are coming into the living room and the the TV's not on. We're just sitting there silently listening to this radio. It was kind of bizarre, but you know, you, once you start hearing the story, you want to hear him finish it. What do you think it is about him that, that keeps people so hooked?
1: So he was trained as an actor when he was young. Uh, his mom, uh, was uh, an actress, I believe, I know screen for sure. I think theater as well. I think Dan was, you know, originally trained in the theater before he sort of took that, you know, took that off ramp and, and went into to, to journalism um, and broadcasting. So I think he has that base and, mm-hmm. and understands how to use his voice. I like, guess it's funny. I was, I was thinking about this, you know, before I did the podcast with Dan, like, okay, well, what makes Dan Carlin so compelling? One, you know, he doesn't work with script and a lot of it is, is freestyle, but he's still a, a master storyteller and a master orator. Like he's he's quite brilliant, uh, as we all know. Like the the scripts, as loose as they may be, are 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 really thoroughly researched mm-hmm. and really well really well put together. But anybody can do that. I don't shouldn't say anybody. Historians can do that. Right. But I wouldn't listen to most historians no. for five hours. I hated time. history class. I love his podcast. Like that's, Same. Yeah. But that's the thing. But that's the thing. Like, here's the thing about Carlin is when you walk away, I remember the first time I listened to Blueprint for Armageddon. Yeah. So that's his sweeping was a five or six part series on World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember coming away from that saying, you know, if my, my history teacher in grade 11, like if Dan Carlin were my history teacher, I probably would have gone into history as a pursuit. Like that's what I would have studied at university just because instantly, I've always been casually interested in world war Mm one, but ever since hearing that series, and I've listened to it now like three or four times, like I'm profoundly interested in the history uh, of world war one to the, uh, to the the, the point where it's actually an obsession. Like it's, it, it it awakens that, uh, you know, your, your curiosity. So the, the one thing that, that Dan does is, and he talks about. He calls it the uh, the Rashomon effect, um, which is uh, an Akira Kurosawa movie where there's a murder, and the whole movie sort of um, uh, takes place from the viewpoint of a different person, all viewing the same event. Mm. And he 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 does that. And Gilligan's Island actually did a version of this <laughs> one too, which is which, is, which I think is is quite funny, but. He calls it the Russia Fact and 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 he does that with history. You know, be there'll be a single point, and he'll present it from a number of different viewpoints. And to the to the point about why is it so listenable? Like, why can you and your and your friends sit around a, a kitchen table over over a few beers, and just sit there all together and listen? Which, by the way, never happens. No, like I, like I, 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 it's such a that's such a compliment, like. If I'm a podcaster and I hear someone say, "Me and my buddies got together to listen to your show," right, that to me would be the ultimate flattery <laughs> because podcasts is one on one generally. Um, no one gets together to listen to podcasts, um, but that's a real compliment. And I think a lot of that is because, as I mentioned earlier, he, he's a you know he's a he's, he's trained in, in the in the theatrical arts and he understands how to use his voice. And much like I don't want to get too way out there about Dan, but you know how. You know, melodies and symphonies will will rise and then fall, and rise and then vanish. You know, they'll go away and then they'll come back and they'll be sweeping and they'll rise again. That's kind of how he presents history, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Well. It's it's almost where you can listen to it and there's a lot of information you can glean from it, and it's really compelling to listen to. But what I find about Carl too is, and even just when I'm in my office working. I can just flip on a podcast and it could almost be like audio wallpaper. The sound is just comforting. Yeah. And the other thing he does really well with, and I always talk about uh, when I ever talk to young people in the industry, the power of silence. You know, silence is the one thing that actually gets people to lean forward. Like right now, we're, we're very passive, lean back listeners when it comes to things mm-hmm. because we're so used to a wall of sound. And a wall of sound comes when you have a really insecure broadcaster and a really insecure broadcaster thinks that the minute he or she stops talking, people are going to tune out when actually, and this only comes after years of experience, you know, the opposite is true. And Dan's really, really comfortable with silence you know there are a couple of like in sports radio the master of this was Bob McCall.
0: I was just going to say that, that he Nobody,
1: was, he'd let a point sit
0: there for a second and
1: just let the gravity of it sink in, right? Yeah. That's what he would do. Carlin does it perfectly. And I think that's because of his his early training before he before he got into journalism. That that's the best that's the best that I can glean. Maybe you have a better answer
0: than I do, though. No, not at all. I think uh, I think that, that completely now, although I will laugh a little bit by you saying people don't get together to listen to a podcast while you're literally driving to host one in front of a, a live audience. But,
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, it, it does happen occasionally, but uh, your point is well yeah, taken. That, listen, uh, hypocr-
1: hypocrisy is the greatest luxury, as they say. <laughs> hypocrisy is the greatest luxury.
0: Uh I want to tell the uh the good listener that the first time I think I ever heard you on the radio was yep. the late 90s on the Live Audio Wrestling uh yes. radio show uh way yeah, back I in the day it. gentleman Jeff Merrick uh loved it. Loved it. based um,
1: on ge- based on gentleman Jim Corbett, right turn of the century boxer
0: um do you still follow the industry at all? I know you're pretty much neck deep in, in hockey for yeah. your, your day job. Do you keep up with it at all, or is it sort of I don't. passed you by? There's yeah. The,
1: yeah, there's not enough hour. Like I still keep in touch with people from the industry. Mm-hmm. Like I'll exchange texts every now and then with uh, with Lance Evers who wrestles Lance Storm. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, Chris Jericho will pop up uh, with a quick text. Um, through actually through hockey. Um, and our time in Chicago at the NHL players tour a couple of years ago, I've become friends with, uh, with CM Punk. So we text about hockey mainly. I'm sure you heard he's he, been if, in the news he, again. Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Phil, yeah. <laughs> Phil's, Phil's in the news a little bit here and there. Yeah. Um, but by, by and large, I don't, I don't really get a chance every now and then I'll, I'll text with Dave Meltzer, but, uh, it's, it's so few so many the the emails are are few and far between i just don't i just don't have the hours like really between doing nhl and chl and trying to stay on top of everything and still you know very much interested in, in the history of this game and i just don't have time but i will say this you know i still go down you know uh wrestling wormholes and a lot of it is a lot of it is around wrestling that i used to watch when i was a kid like when i was young so it's like old early to mid-80s, mid-Atlantic, or AWA at that time. And and I still, though, I I still find myself ending up going back uh, and going down Japanese wrestling uh, wormholes, whether it's All Japan, uh, I was a big fan of Mitsuhara Misawa, um, uh, Toshiaki Kawada, um, like those were, to to say nothing of Kenta Kobashi was a peak performer, maybe the best of all those big three. Uh, to say nothing of, you know, New Japan. I know we just lost Antonio Inoki not too long ago. Those are those are basically the uh, the wrestling wormholes that I go down.
0: This is why Jeff is such a pro and uh, such a good host. He has taken me right to uh, to what I wanted to uh, to ask him about. It was yeah, just uh, the other day we did lose uh, Antonio Inoki, who. For people not familiar who didn't follow uh, Japanese pro wrestling, certainly, but one of the biggest stars ever in the industry and then went on to become a a politician, um, a promoter. He put on a a show in North Korea, of all places, if you can believe it. Uh, um, And one of the things I I just finished reading not too long ago, a book on his fight with uh, Muhammad Ali, which was really kind of a, a precursor to MMA long before such a thing existed. And you got Muhammad Ali... You know, standing there with Anoki refusing to get off his back, and it's just kicking him in the leg because Anoki knows if I get up, I'm gonna get punched in the face, and Ali doesn't want to get down and wrestle with Anoki, and the whole thing turns into yeah. be just a, a sham. But what do you think of when you think of uh, the legacy of of Antonio Anoki? I know you are a bit of a history nut for the industry. I thought you might yeah. have a take there. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, post World War II, um, Japan had really you know taken a knee. It had been a humbled country and one of the things that I think helped it, you know, uh, helped it grow its, its spine again, uh, in a lot of ways was pro wrestling through one wrestler who, you know, interestingly enough, wasn't Japanese, but it was Korean. And that was, uh, on mm-hmm. who was, you know, who was like this, you know, this, uh, you know, avenging Japanese wrestler who they would feed American wrestlers to for, for him to beat, uh, to help to try to regain Japanese pride after having surrendered, um, uh, at the end of world war two. Um, and Rikita Zan was sort of the, the, the grandfather of Japanese pro wrestling. And then right after him came both Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. And Inoki, much like Rikita Zan, you know, prided himself in being um, a legit tough guy or a shooter. And he was one of, and this leads us into, you know, you mentioned the conversation about and that, that fight with, uh, or whatever, that match, that thing yeah. <laughs> with Muhammad Ali. <laughs> I mean, Anoki always wanted his wrestling to look and feel as real as possible. He was involved in a lot of matches that turned into shoots, uh, which are actual fights mm-hmm. uh, that happened on, on, on more than a couple of occasions. But also, if you look at how he built himself, like they were making no a mistake about it. They were pro wrestling matches, but you know uh Enoki built himself and this I'm surprised that you know other promoters haven't climbed on to this yet some have flirted with it but as a way to build up himself as a legit tough guy and a legit headliner in the um, in, in the world of pro wrestling I mean he would wrestle you know elite competition from various combat sport disciplines so whether it was someone from the world of sumo someone from the world of Karate or Kung Fu or whatever martial arts discipline. These are the people at Judo, like Anoki, would would fight these people. And if you look at a lot of the wrestlers that he trained as well, whether it was you know Hiroshi Hase, uh, Kira Maeda, uh, Nobuhiko Takada, um, Fujiwara, I, mean, I always think of the Fujiwara armbar, which is named after him. Right. Uh, even Shinya Hashimoto, to some extent. Not so much Keiji Mudo, but I think you're getting the point here. Like uh Niola Ogawa may have been the best example won a silver medal uh in judo. Like he liked his athletes to give the air of legitimacy. Like and the the thing about Japanese pro wrestling at that time, and that's why I mentioned like Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kenta Kobashi is you know it was presented as a legitimate sporting event. And Inoki took a lot of pride in both himself and his athletes looking like and behaving like real fighters. Like that was the beginning of that era. And there was, you know, various Japanese promotions, you know, that that tried to emulate that and, and tried to do what uh, Tony Inoki initially set out to do. But Inoki in a lot of ways was the first. And you mentioned that first, you know, popularizing of, a, of an MMA phenomenon, which is, you know antonio noki versus muhammad ali you know heavyweight boxer i mean that was supposed to be a worked match or a cooperative match mm-hmm. the ali camp thought that hang on a second here we don't trust this guy and so they introduced a whole lot of rules and one of the rules was you know uh noki wasn't allowed to throw kicks uh, unless he had one knee on the mat and so that's why he spent the whole time on his butt you know, get up to one knee and you know hammer at hammer at Ali's legs and just uh, they really really damaged Ali. Yeah. For the, rest, was,
0: of career, got, for the rest of his career. For yeah. the rest of his
1: Yeah, for the rest of his career. Um, so that I mean that that was an okay. I mean, listen, he was a giant. Um, his New Year's Eve shows, I mean, they would pack Tokyo Dome. Like these were events like we think of, you know, TV numbers like, oh, if you get in the, the high, you know, if you get in like the the, the low teens on a, a wrestling this is on a, on, a, on a TV uh, for a TV show, mm-hmm. you think that that's a big number to pop. Man, half of Japan would watch the New Year's show. <laughs> like you would get like a like no joke. Like it, it was that much of a big yeah. deal. Like four, it would get like a forty-eight. It was, it was just wow. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And you're packing the Tokyo Dome <laughs> for this thing. So yeah, and we all know about uh, you know his his work politically. Like he was someone that you know very much transcended the sport, and in a lot of ways transcended. You know every field that he ended up uh, that he ended up with. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I think he'll always and best be remembered for the Muhammad Ali thing. Yeah. I, I, I come short of calling it a fight.
0: Yeah, no, for um, sure. But
1: spectacle. there was a, there the, yeah spectacles. Actually, that's a really good word for it, the Muhammad Ali spectacle. <laughs> but there were there were a lot of layers uh, to to Antonio and Like this has been this has been this has been a, has been a, a, a tough year for for combat sports and and, and pro wrestling. I mean the the two that I think of right away, I think of an, the loss of Antonio Inokin, I think of the loss of, of Jean Gene uh, LaBelle.
0: Yes, yes. Who was,
1: yeah. you know, who we lost not too long ago, too. And whether it was you know, his, his, uh, his actual fighting, whether it was his work, you know, in uh, in, in Hollywood, you know, probably the choreograph fighting to say nothing of his, his, uh, his mentoring of Ronda Rousey, who became one of the great, you know, uh, female fighting phenom, phenoms the world has ever seen. And help put women in a place of prominence in the UFC, where once upon a time Dana White said we're never going to have women in the UFC. You know, Ronda Rousey pretty much single-handedly turned that around, and she was in a lot of ways mentored by uh, by Judo Jean LaBelle. So it's been a it's been a tough year, Matt. It's been a tough. Year.
0: It's true, and uh, yeah, it's it's when you think of how big you know you've referenced there Dana White in the UFC, how big MMA is now, and we always hear about the history of it in terms of. Of the Gracies and you know okay. UFC one being this you know a wrestler versus a, a karate fighter and a kickboxer yeah. versus this and that and we don't talk about Enoki very much and as he said he was doing that twenty years before the UFC was even uh, conceived of so uh, yeah. a major loss you know
1: there. what you, you know what a lot of it was and you can find this match on YouTube it was either oh geez fifty six or fifty seven it's uh, uh, Rikita on versus lufez for the nwa heavyweight championship that match in a lot of ways started that entire phenomenon mm. in japan like they to, to me it's one of the most important wrestling matches ever um you can find it it's about I, I watched it not too long ago it's available on youtube uh rikita zan versus versus lufez 56 or 57 nwa title there's a nice little bit of on Rikita and uh, Rikita Zan's training uh, before before the fight, too, shot by uh, uh, someone in a uh, filmmaker in Japan as well. So it's a, a nice bit of video, but that's the one that they got all of this started. Again, Enoki wasn't the, 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 the absolute first. Right. Like everybody sits on the shoulders of those that came before. Uh, in a lot of ways, Rikita Zan was. <laughs>
0: Uh, we'll put the, if I can find it, we'll put the link to, uh, to that match in the show notes, uh, at talking nice. com, and people can check that out. Uh, be interesting to see. Uh, I guess I should be remiss if I, before I let you go, if I don't give the people just a little bit of hockey before we get out of here. And, uh, sure. we've seen the, uh, the Leafs get up and going. I'm a, I'm a Leafs guy. So that's where I'm going to take you here. Um, okay. As we sit here, you know, the, the Leafs, I, they look to me a little bit like a team that might take a tiny bit of a step back in the regular season, but will still easily make the playoffs. Um, and, you know, they, they've added some some depth in the bottom six. I still like the defense quite a bit. I think everybody knows the question will be in goal. And I'm curious what your expectations of a Matt Murray and uh, Sergei Samsonov tandem is? Is it as simple as health? Is there going to be more to it than that for Matt Murray? Like, what do you think when you look at that tandem?
1: So in situations like when it, when it comes to goaltending, I always defer to the goaltending community. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I talk to a lot of people, uh, that are goalie instructors, that are goalie coaches, that work, you know, handling goaltenders in, in scouting departments. Um, uh, the people from In Goal Magazine uh, are a tremendous resource. Steve Valleket is a great resource. And the more people that you talk to about Matt Murray, uh, they'll tell you how he's gone through a profound changing of the way that he plays the game. Hmm. Like, if you, at, if you look at Matt Murray, the way he played with the Pittsburgh Penguins, it is profoundly different uh, than how he plays now. Now it's it's challenging at that point in your career to to break your style and relearn the game and relearn the position. Right. But Matt Murray has been on his way, and um, uh, as Kevin Woodley has pointed out from from Goal Magazine, who's uh, as we like to refer to as the goalie whisperer, <laughs> um, you know we, we saw that after the demotion to Belleville is with the Ottawa Senators. You know, he played really well in Belleville and coming out of that, he had put it really, all of a sudden, Matt Murray had it together before the injury, of course, and you start to say to yourself, well, maybe he really is committed to changing the way that he plays goal because obviously the way he was playing before wasn't working for him and wasn't working for the Ottawa Senators. So if that transformation can take the next step, I think that goes a that goes a long way. Uh, Sam Sonoff is interesting. He had... As we understand it, bigger money offers elsewhere. This is a show me one year deal uh, for him. I always love athletes that bet on themselves. Uh, we've all known that there's a real good goaltender in there. The one thing about him, as I've been told, is the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And that can be a disaster for a goaltender. Like you want that, it's almost like you want a robot. Okay, like yeah. you want that you want that emotionless guy. I mean, Carey Price was the best. Like, if you talk to Carey Price after a game, you had no idea if they won or lost. Right, and that's the way it should be if you're a goaltender. <laughs> like, don't get don't get carried away with the emotions whatsoever. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see about Samsonov there. But like, let's not forget here. You know, and I'm I'm glad you brought up the Toronto Maple Leafs defense, which is hugely hugely underrated.
0: Yeah. You know, they were bad for least, so long that it's just become a thing that people kind of don't appreciate how far it's come now, right? Like it's totally yeah. like
1: that 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 defense not only kept its head above water but thrived last year. You know, outside of October and November, where Jack Campbell was outstanding,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they had very much below par goaltending for the, pretty much the entire season, and they were able to keep this team above water. And the team got 115 points, right? And I think a lot of that has to do with the blue line now. The blue line starting a little bit dinged up here. Yeah, and I mean, health is the ultimate wild card for every team, but it really is for the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, they'll they'll start the season without John Tavares. Um, I think everybody really wonders now about Jake Mustin's health uh, on an almost daily basis, considering how many miles he's logged on that body, how many shots he's put himself yeah. in front <laughs> of it, you know, how many checks et cetera. I mean, he is really one of the most unique players. Uh, on the Maple Leafs you know I was concerned about the hospital bracelet I think ultimately the Maple Leafs are fine I think the Maple Leafs are are one of the best teams in the NHL uh, but they still have the ghosts of the first round and this will be the last chance they get you know to to get rid of the ghosts that they've summoned they continue to summon these ghosts up every single year and if they don't get rid of them this year I think you're looking at profound changes in the organization
0: Demons. Uh, what Paul McLean say? Demons under the bed. Demons everywhere they look. Uh, yes, so, he's right. Yeah, if, he's right. If Austin Matthews plays 82 games, 57 and a mm-hmm. half, you taking the over or under? Over. Yeah. Okay.
1: Over. Over. Yeah. Over all day long. Like yeah. he's got. If he's healthy and he plays the full season, he's got you know probably you know 60, maybe dare I say 60 to 65. Nice. Written up, written all over him for sure.
0: Uh, I appreciate your time here, Jeff. I know you're a busy guy. You got uh, you're all, traveling all over the province at this point, and the uh, the Jeff Merrick show starting back up here again very soon as the hockey season rolls in. Thank you so much for doing this, man.
1: Pleasure's mine. You buzz back anytime. It's been uh, long overdue. We've been trying to get this together now for how many months? Yeah,
0: it happens. Well, <laughs> you can't be reaching out to hockey guys over the summer. So they got in a, <laughs> they disappear. <laughs> so that's that's on me. But I, I do appreciate it.
1: Bless you. Thanks so much. Buzz back anytime. All right, it's been a pleasure.
0: All right. Great to, uh, to talk to Jeff there on his way to Peterborough for, uh, for one of the live 32 Thoughts podcasts that they're doing uh, as they kind of tour around here and, uh, and meet some of their, their loyal listeners, their fans. Um, great for, uh, or great of Jeff to, to take some time to talk to us there. Uh, one of the things I, I thought maybe we could touch on here just briefly was the fact that Rasmus Sandine is now signed and uh, in training camp. Uh, it looks like he's taking some reps on the right side as they're kind of banged up over there. Who knows exactly where we're going to see him yet. Muzzin is now back and skating, practicing, looking like he might play uh, here in the next couple of days. Um, so we'll see where all that's going to shake loose. But I was interested in some of the reaction to, um, you know, the the actual signing itself and the circumstances around it. As the Leafs played the Habs uh, in a preseason game on Wednesday night and we saw... Carl uh, Dahlstrom and Jordy Ben both get injured. And that at the time was on top of Muzzin already being out, Lilligren already being out, and you're starting to like get really thin on that back end. And so wheels start spinning, right? Does Rasmus Sandin suddenly have more leverage? Does Dubas have to get a little desperate here to get this done? And you wonder how that's all going to play out. Well, sure enough, it's Thursday morning that we hear that he has signed. Uh, but it's for the exact same contract that he was offered months ago, and it's the same contract that Timothy Liljegren signed uh, with a 1.4 million dollar cap hit uh, times two years, and I wonder at that point. Like we started to hear, Chris Johnston is the one who reported that, um, I believe, reported first that it was uh, Sandine and his agent who reached out to the team Thursday morning, and uh, Dubas confirmed that in a statement he seemed to really want to make it clear that they reached out to him, not the other way around. And I guess when you have the, the narrative that I guess seems to have sort of arisen a little bit, and maybe fairly so about Kyle Dubas, that he's folded a couple of times and given them what they wanted with some of their other free agents. And he wasn't going to do that this time. He needs to make clear. They came to us. I didn't go to them. I didn't fold. I didn't get desperate, but he didn't bury Sandine either. He said, they reached out to us this morning and said they wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, right? Seeing all these guys go down, seeing all these guys get hurt. Um, so it was sort of a, a I was going to say two-faced, that's not the right word at all, but a two-phased answer, maybe, that he clears his own name saying, hey, they called us, but also saying, for the right reasons. Um, I don't buy a ton of that. At least not exactly as they are selling it. Uh, I do believe had Dubas picked up the phone on Thursday morning, he would be showing a little bit of weakness. So I do believe that Sandine and his agent are the ones that made that call. But I don't necessarily believe it was for all these, you know, altruistic reasons. Um, maybe they pick up the phone seeing that you're in trouble and they call to see if you're prepared to move. Are you now prepared to spend a little more? You know, I'm still sitting out here, I'd take 1.6, I'd take 1.7. And when uh Kyle goes, "No, I'm staying at 1.4." Do they then go, "Yeah, okay. Circle back if he's not moving now when half of you the blue line you have in training camp is injured, he's not gonna move. So you might as well just sign." Like did that phone call not necessarily get made? Um to help out the team, but to test the water, see if you were willing to blink. And when you weren't, you just go, fuck it. Then this is over. Uh, If you're not moving now, you're not going to move. I'll come to camp. And then to save face for everybody, both both parties are able to come out and say, yeah, he wanted to come back. He saw the trouble that the team was in. He wanted to come back and help. I'm fine with all that. But I bet you that phone call, that initial phone call that was made on Thursday morning was just as much about testing the water as it was to... I'm sure the first line or the first thing they said wasn't we're willing to come in for 1.4. They would have tested him first and and seen if there was now going to be a little movement and there wasn't. So uh, good for Kyle on that point. Um, You know, he he didn't blink. He held uh, and got the deal done for the same thing he'd been offering and I don't know. There's a lot of people criticizing Sandine, saying he looks silly for missing camp and holding out this long and then eventually taking exactly what they were offering him months ago. You got to find out. If you think you're worth more, you got to negotiate. You got to see if you can get them to to move a little bit. So At the end of the day, he's going to get here. He will play a couple of preseason games. Uh, I don't know how much it will have hurt him to miss camp. It's not ideal for a young player um, who doesn't have a ton of NHL experience. You'd want him to be there, but... He will get a couple games in, so I, I imagine he's going to be fine. Uh, maybe the other thing worth mentioning here before we, uh, we wrap up is uh, the fact that Paul Lapelise has been fired by the Ottawa Red Blacks. Uh, I mentioned on our Thursday show, episode 1019, uh, when Bunda was on, that I was all but certain it would happen after that BC game, win or lose, uh, and it was a loss. That's, uh, that's what they've been doing lately. But I took a little shit on, uh, on social media over this because apparently for some of you, uh, I didn't push Hoffley hard enough on episode 1018. And I don't know, maybe it's worth explaining or some people just like to complain. I, I, I don't really know, but I think it's worth understanding that Hoffley's been a friend of the show for a while. Uh, he has hooked us up repeatedly with guests on top of coming in himself. And it's worth remembering his job title. He is a PR guy. For Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, he's not a sports commentator. He's not a guy who's going to come in here and blast his employer. He's been honest with us when we have had him on and said, "Yeah, the vibes aren't good. The team hasn't been good. We expected to be better." But it's really weird to expect that I'm going to hammer on him. First of all, I'm not a journalist, and you might be surprised to learn that the Tall Can Audio Podcast does not have subpoena power. People come in here voluntarily. I don't get to demand that they come and sit and answer all of my questions. And even if I did, when you bring in the PR guy, he's probably not going to sit and bash the team and and vent the way you are going to vent as a fan. It's just not going to happen. And so it's not worth hitting him over the head with those questions repeatedly. I asked him what the vibe was like down there, how people are handling the fact that, that it hasn't been very good. But he also mentioned in his answer, he's not an X's and O's guy. He's not a coach. He knows it's bad. He said as much. But to think I'm then going to keep beating him over the head and asking that guy, you know, will they fire Lapalisse and And what do you think's wrong with the offense? And, and these sorts of things. It's just not the right time. It's not the right place. And it's not pussyfooting around him. It's not backing away. It's understanding that this guy is a friend of the show. He always makes time for us. He helps us out. Uh, And he's not the right guy to have certain conversations with. And that's why you saw the rest of that episode. I moved on. We talked about spending billions of dollars to launch a rocket into space to ram into a giant piece of space rock. Um, We talked about Taylor Swift getting the Super Bowl. Hoffley is a good guy. He's a fun guy. I like having him on the show and we'll just talk about other stuff. He's more than, than the job he does. The next day Bunda was on and Bunda is a guy who works in the media. He covers the team quite frequently. And we had a frank and honest conversation there about what we thought was wrong with the team and what should be done. Doesn't necessarily mean we're right. It's just, that's a more appropriate venue and a more appropriate guest to have that conversation with. So it's not backing away from Hoffley or or serving him up softballs or whatever you might want to call it. It's just understanding who you have here and what their position is and just enjoying the conversation for what it is. He's going to come in, have some beers, talk sports, and and that'll be that. But it would have been just as disingenuous to not ask him at all. You got a guy who works for the organization while the team is going through hell, you got to ask him something and you got to at least bring it up. And then once you've done that, you move along. It's just not worth beating him over the head with. We did the beating the next day with, uh, with Bunda. And so, yeah, it's just, I took, I got a couple of tweets. I got a couple DMS, uh, from people saying either that I took it easy on Hoffley or that Hoffley wasn't honest enough, or, you know, I should have stuck with it and really pushed him. Or that I was afraid of him, not afraid of him necessarily, but like I was willing to say a lot more to Bunda the next day than I was to Hoffley the day before. How come, you know, if those are your opinions, why wouldn't you say that to Hoffley? Well, because what does that do? It puts him on the spot. It puts me on the spot. And that conversation is going to go nowhere. So you just don't do it. You enjoy the conversation for what it is. And you get to it another time. I was a little disappointed with some of the, the feedback we got on that. Hoffley has been very good to this show, and even though he is working for the Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group, doesn't mean he can't be an entertaining guest to come in here and and have a conversation, and he was nice enough to do so during what was unquestionably, uh, no doubt, a, not an easy week around the place that he works. So I just wanted to get that off my chest a little bit because I was disappointed with some of the feedback. You're all welcome to your opinions. I love hearing from you guys. Love hearing what you think. But the fact that I would have one conversation with Bunda and a different conversation with Hoffley really shouldn't be surprising when you consider the fact that one works in the media and one works for the team. I guess the only alternative would be to not have Hoffley in if you think it's some sort of conflict of interest or whatever, but I'm not going to do that. Hoffley's a friend of the show. He's a friend of mine. He's a good conversation. We get good feedback when he comes in. That's not going to change. So. Wanted to get that off my chest. Wanted to have a little conversation about it. Hope everybody understands a little bit better my perspective on that and where I was coming from with that. It's just understanding who's sitting across the table from you and what's worth asking and what's worth harping on and what you just move on from and and carry on with hopefully a fun conversation about something else. So that's it. I'm not a journalist. It's not my job to dig and get all the, you know, the hard hitting questions and all the answers we're a talk show commentators if that's a a better term whatever you want to call it Um, Tim Baines did some very good reporting for uh, the Ottawa Citizen this week I would encourage you to check out his work if you're looking for them to have to see you know a deeper dive on how all this played out but yeah after that loss on uh, on Friday night the team turned around on Saturday and uh, fired Paul Lapolis it was coming there was just no other options anymore you know, there was no doubt it was about performance. The team has been 3-11 and 11 now for, you know, back-to-back seasons. It's not good enough. But it was also clearly about showing the fans, okay, we hear you. We know you're frustrated. Here's a peace offering. Throwing a body to the Wolves, basically. And uh, Lapo's a good guy. I don't think anybody disrespects him. He was nice enough to make time for this show uh, once or twice. And uh, got... No beef with him, but the performance on the field wasn't good enough. And when that's the case, somebody always pays the price. That's just the way it goes in sports. And, uh, so by all accounts, uh, he was reasonably understanding. He knew it was coming. He understands the business he's in. Uh, so you hope things turn out well for him and his family He lands on his feet somewhere else, but, uh, you know, they couldn't go any further with this here in Ottawa. So it's too bad. But, uh, uh, with that, we'll wind things down. Like I said, uh, Mike Ross coming up this week, the in-arena announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Andrew Stoughton, when the Jays get their playoff matchup locked in, uh, will be here and uh, we'll we'll tee that up for you uh, at some point here over the next couple of days. It's going to be a good week on the Tall Can Audio podcast. We hope you have a good week with whatever you're doing. We will catch you all next time. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you all so much for listening. Peace.
1: I am unhappy. With the confusing and at times confrontational nature of that meeting, I wanted it to go better. I wanted it to go better!